Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll start in verse 13. We'll be focusing on the last three pieces of the armor this morning. Verse 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked." And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you. Lord, thank you for your Word. And Lord, we ask your blessing, especially now upon this time in the service, that you would work, that your Word would strengthen our heart, that your Word would have free course to work. And Lord, use it to draw us closer to you. Control what I say and how I say it. Help me to stay true to your word and that you would be glorified. I certainly do pray uh, for anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I pray the message of the gospel would be clear in their mind that even this morning they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, please work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we have been looking at the arm and the, and the importance of it. That was really the, the focus of the very first message, was just trying to get you to understand why you need this armor and how it's not just a, 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 a Sunday school image that should be in your mind, but it is genuine things that God has put in place to protect you from the very real spiritual battle that does exist. We focused the first week much on the devil, how we are at an incredible disadvantage in our battle against him. He has been at it for 6,000 years. He was one of the, an angel that was created and one of only three angels even given a name in scripture, or a name that we know of, I should say. And he had a high place, a place of authority, uh, such influence he had that when he fell, a third of the angels that were created uh, fell with him. That's an enormous number. We don't know how many were created. We can't count how many were created. We know when they were created. We see that again at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1. We see when that takes place. And so he has a dominion. He has a kingdom that is established. He has a hierarchy that's been put in place. And he does his best to thwart God, to fight against God's will, to try and do whatever he can to be destructive to the purposes of God. And so much of that, of course, is going to center on our life, on the part of his creation that was created in God's image. He started right in the Garden of Eden immediately with Eve. And and began his deception and his lies, mixing some truth in. And, of course, Eve fell. And, again, he's been at this for 6,000 years. Apart from what we have from God, you're at an incredible disadvantage. You will not win this battle apart from him. Last uh, Sunday, we looked at the first three first three pieces of the armor. We looked at our loins girt about with truth. This is what holds the armor together. This is what's going to keep really the breastplate in place, a place for the sword. Um, This is, and it dealt with being real with your faith. That word truth there had to do with integrity. 
about being genuine, not being fake with your Christian life. Not doing it for show, not doing it for others, but realizing, listen, God is there and I want to serve Him. It starts there. It starts with you understanding who God is and truly desiring to serve Him and please Him. And then, of course, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness and the need of a desire for genuine holiness. It dealt with practical righteousness. And then we looked at our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And how this was what what helped us to stand in the battle, to get a grip in the ground. And how that dealt with remembering that because of the gospel, we were made at peace with God. We are on his side for this battle. Which brings us now to where we're at for today's message. And he says in verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So let's take a few minutes and look at the shield of faith. This shield here protects the entire man. And serves as armor, even for your armor. There were different types of shield used by the armies in this day. There was a small round one, which is usually the image that we have in our mind when we think of a shield. However, that is not the word that is used here. This is a different word. The word used here is theron, which is not a small shield. It's probably about four feet in height, two to two and a half feet in width. They, how they made it was interesting. I, I, I want to cover it because of what they did before battle with it. So they would take two layers of wood. They would press them and really glue them together. Overlay it with linen and leather. And everything would be bound. They had some iron on the edges of it. And then prior to a known battle, if they know, listen, in, in the morning the battle hits, they would soak it in water. They would leave it soaked in water throughout the entire night. Want to know why? Because when they fought that battle, they knew a weapon that would commonly be used in battle was a fiery arrow. And so hoping to dampen it to get that in there so it doesn't light the shield on fire so that it quenches when that arrow hits. Again, they would dip that arrow in a tar or a resin, light it on fire. It would slowly burn. And you could just imagine, apart from that, the damage you could do to armor. I mean, all of a sudden, you have a fiery arrow coming at you, and that thing sticks in place. And, of course, Paul makes reference to that here in this text. Those fiery darts are symbols of different things that the devil throws at us, whether it's strong temptation such as lustfulness or greed, vanity, materialism, pride. He knows how to use them and he knows your life. He knows what to throw at you and when to throw at you. It's not just the arrow. It's the damage that the arrow can inflict even after impact with a destructive fire that can break down uh, uh, your armor, that can destroy your life. And again, I believe your enemy in the spiritual warfare has, has these arrows or these darts designed for you and your weakness. Remember, when we talked about the devil, the word that I said should give us a lot of fear is the word wiles. It means strategy, methods. It's just not random. It's just not, okay, hey, let, let's attack today. There's a purpose and a plan behind it. So when it comes to these fiery darts, he knows what he's doing. 
He's trying to destroy your armor. He's trying to get to your life. But why is it, I want you to think about this, why is it that faith is the defender against these fiery darts? So let's, let's think about this for a second. In, in, in many ways, the root of all sin, in many ways, is not being satisfied with God's provision in your life. It's not being satisfied with that. Or being satisfied with where God has you, what God has told you. Not being satisfied. Let me explain that. Let me use the garden with, with Eve as an example. Faith could have protected Eve against that attack of Satan. Faith. When the devil came in with his temptation, he produced a measure of dissatisfaction with what God had given Eve in her mind. That somehow what God had given just wasn't quite enough. He produced a measure of doubt and dissatisfaction. And it worked. As a result, she fell to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All of them kicked in. But the truth is, had she simply in that moment used a shield of faith, faith in God's provision, what God had given her, say, no, I will trust God with this. I will not entertain this. It would have protected her. I mean, think about how sin works. It starts maybe with a simple attack, getting ready for the fiery one. Again, the devil uses wiles. He uses strategies. Don't be ignorant of his devices. You see so many people, they left and right, falling in the spiritual battle over and over again to the point. It's almost easy for him. He just waits for the right time. All right, it's almost there. It's almost there. Now. And sure enough, bam. Let's think how sin works. The attack begins. Bitterness sets in or whatever. Pick something. Your spouse is giving you trouble. You're greed hitting. You feel mistreated. Thoughts begin to come. Sinful thoughts, by the way. That are satisfying the lust of the flesh. Right now, you had better get that shield up. Because there's some fiery darts getting ready to be launched right at you. And they're going to be destructive. Faith to trust God. Faith to know that God is enough in any situation in life. Faith to make it about God and not about you. Faith to know what I need in my life more than anything is God. 
then I will not be dissatisfied with what God has given me. They understand where I am at in this sin-cursed earth. Because once, listen to me, once a measure of dissatisfaction comes in with where God has you and what God has told you and God has promised, once that measure of dissatisfaction has come in, you are steps away from justifying sin. You see, Satan wants you to think real fulfillment in life is following his path and not God's. But he's not going to come at you direct. I mean, he's he's not stupid. He's been doing this for 6,000 years. I mean, think about it in relation to how temptation and how sin works. You can begin to see how the shield of faith is the protection against the fiery darts of the devil. I will trust in God. I'm going to trust in Him. Even though right now I have issues here with my marriage, I have, I have problems with this at work, I will trust in God. See, when a lot of... Satan understands that what he has to do actually to get the temptation to work, to be fulfilled, to be destructive, is to get you to believe him and not God. To doubt God. Yea, hath God said. To doubt what will happen as a result. To forget about God in a single moment of time. When he studies and he measures, he's playing you for the evil day. That's David when he was on a rooftop. Know what he wasn't thinking about? And had the shield of faith been up, he would have. Had he trusted in God, God would have said, consequences. What would happen? Knowing God is enough. We walk by faith. As you walk by faith, you have a shield in place. You see, this when you're walking by faith, it's helping you to stay focused on God. And this shield is so effective. It's so effective. Satan just has to be so incredibly frustrated. Because it quenches all the fiery darts. When it's in place, nothing gets through. Now let's tie that in with the next one. Because I think it's amazing how they tie together. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Above, excuse me. And take the helmet of salvation. It starts off in verse number 17. Obviously, a blow to the head is going to be instantly fatal. It's a game changer. The head must be protected. With the imagery that would be given when Paul gave this of a Roman soldier, the helmet was made of really tough metal, bronze, or iron. 
It would actually be pretty heavy. It would be lined with a sponge-type substance so that it could rest on the head and be firm on the head. It would make the weight bearable. It would make it so they could fight, so they could concentrate. It would fit snugly on the head. Um, And that for the most part, only a a direct hit from an axe or a serious weapon could penetrate it. Other than that, it protected. Even the Roman soldier I found interesting was free to decorate the helmet as he saw fit. But why is salvation this protection of our mind? Makes perfect sense. Just like the shield of faith is perfect, I think you'll see why it's a helmet of salvation is perfect. When many people do fall today with the attacks of the devil and all that's going on in this sin-cursed earth, many people fall due to, let's bring up just a couple. One, discouragement. Discouragement. As they're trying to serve the Lord, discouragement sets in. Sometimes they see all that's taking place in the fight they're in. It gets to a place you, you, you just want to quit. You know, I just had enough. I'm just done. I, I'm, I'm just going to go status quo. I'm just done. It just seems there's this battle after battle after battle. I'm just done and discouragement sets in. They want to quit. Maybe it's just difficult. I mean, think how this was used in the life of John Mark. Takes off on the first missionary journey. I mean, here he is. He is with Paul. He is with Barnabas. I mean, you know, originally he, he was... He had to be so excited when his uncle came to him. Hey, you're going with us. Yes! The excitement was there! But like many, many Christians, when the winds of revival die down, you're just... Those, those winds of revival died down really quick when they landed. Hmm. I don't know this place. <laughs> they get to the, After Cyprus, when they landed on, on the main shore there, Paul got sick. Remember, he got really sick. Uh, and many of the commentators think that what he had was malaria at the time. He, he did no ministry there, wouldn't be until he traveled later. But anyhow, they get there, and this wasn't what John Mark thought it was going to be like. He got discouraged, and he quit. Multitudes fall to, to discouragement, facing battle after battle, where it's, it's just not going the way they think it should go. Or, let's take another approach. Let's use somebody else in the Bible that the devil was successful at um, taking out of the will of God. Demas. Demas. Something else grabbed his focus. Something else grabbed his attention. Obviously, we know with Demas it was the world. Heading off to Thessalonica. It is the helmet of salvation that defends against this. Now, this is what we need to understand, and this is where it begins to make sense. This is not dealing with salvation in the sense of past salvation of my conversion. It's not what it's dealing with at all. It's not talking about my present salvation before God. Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it explains to us what it is talking about.
1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 8 says, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. This explains to us what we're dealing with when it comes to the helmet of salvation. It is dealing with the hope of salvation when I am ultimately saved and standing before the Lord. Of what awaits me. Of the future to come. When I am removed from this sinful world. When I no longer have this sinful body. It deals with the future salvation. The hope that comes because I am saved. The day will come when I am made perfect, when this corruption shall put on incorruption. When the battles are done and they're over with. I mean, just think for a second all that we have coming. And think how this protects your mind against discouragement. Let let me give an example. All right, let's say that tomorrow you head out and we get dumped with five foot of snow tomorrow. So it snows. We get, that's, that's five foot snow. We'll say we get 42 inches. 42 inches, and your teenage son is no longer at home. Then that night, before you could get to it because you were busy with other battles all day, the temperature decides to drop to 23 below zero. Not counting wind chill. You go to try to head out, you get stuck, and then your tire goes flat. 23 below, you've got 42 inches of snow sitting there, you're stuck, you have a tire to change. Now let me throw one more thing into it. That would be incredibly discouraging. But let's say Tuesday morning, you're heading to Hawaii until May 15th. A fully paid vacation, there's a great church there, um, and you leave in the morning. Would that change your view slightly? Oh, yes, it would. You know, it would help you immensely in the midst of that. You're like, you know what? I'm out of here tomorrow. I am done. I'm out of here. I will not have this. Well, guess what? We're out of here tomorrow. We are. We know what's coming. This is what protects your mind. So you just don't dwell within the circumstances. He's saying what gives you the hope is what comes with our salvation. Of what is to come. This isn't the end. This isn't all there is. The world's constantly dumping snow and cold weather all over us. But Hawaii's coming. (laughs) Again, the truth is the knowledge of knowing you are leaving the next morning would help you to endure. That's what it would do. It would help you to endure. It would protect your mind against discouragement. If it protects your mind, you know what it does then? It protects your decisions. And your decisions need to be based on our faith and the hope what is to come. Not based on the discouragement in the moment. And we have a great day coming. A perfect city with a perfect body. God dwelling among us. That's coming. 
Make no mistake, the devil is in a battle for your mind. And he knows how to target yours. You desperately need this helmet on. It gets you focused on what is coming and not in the current difficult circumstances. When discouragement hits, boy, can this helmet help. The day is coming when this will all be over with. When you remember that our life is as a vapor, perish for a while, vanisheth away. It's a short time that we're here. Did not Paul use this over and over? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When he's describing the difficulties of his life and the battles he had, the constant, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the, you know, all the, his life was miserable. But when he finishes that chapter, he says, he calls it all a light affliction. What is light affliction? It worketh but for a moment. He focused on what was to come. And you know what it helped him to do? To endure. To persevere. To press forward. You need the helmet on. Put on the helmet. Stay focused on what is coming. The hope of our salvation. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A sword is both defensive and offensive. A soldier, in truth, will use his sword much more to defend his life, many more times than actually taking a life. So in reading about how swords would be used in actual when these were serious in battle, in one fight, it is said that there was likely 20 blows to block as compared to one to win it. So this is both defensive and offensive. An offensive weapon as well. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is both a defense for our life and an offensive weapon for us to use. It gives you the ability to ward off many of the enemy's blows that are coming at you. While striking back. With blows of your own. Described as the sword of the spirit. One commentator said this. And this is a great way to look. I love how it's the sword of the spirit. Look what this commentator said. Our sword was not forged on human anvils or tempered in earthly fires. It is a weapon of divine origin provided for us by the Spirit of God. So how is the Word of God our sword? How does it defend and how does it attack? Well, we know it's no, nothing ordinary. I'm going to just flip over a few pages here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and read a couple of verses. It says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. <clears throat> this sword has great power. It is a great weapon. It is a great uh, a defensive weapon and offensive weapon for us to use. It has the power to bring down entire fortifications. And we see this true and playing out in history 
um, over the years. Those human fortifications in which people have become imprisoned. Ideologies, philosophies, any anti-God viewpoint that condemns and blinds men. We see it used in this way over and over and over. To take all those out, to remove all of those fortifications. It has that level of power with it. It's the word of God that pierces, dividing between soul and spirit, taking down these men that were blinded in their religion, captured by it. The man writing here in Ephesians 6 knows, knows all about this personally, as he was blinded in his Judaism, actually being used of Satan to try and stop the very Messiah. But you know what got him? The Word of God. He heard a man preaching one day named Stephen. And know what he knew when he's preaching and he's hearing the Word of God expounded upon and explained and, and who this man Christ was. That Word of God began, began to break down all those fortifications he had built up. It was tearing him down. One of Satan's greatest assets in his war against Christ becomes converted. It's a strong weapon that can change men, that can change people's lives. For us, it's a defense. Satan will constantly come at you with thoughts and, and different, different ways to try and disrupt you from the will of God. Different ways to disrupt as you're trying to serve God, as you're trying to follow any way he can. This thing needs to be in place to block blow after blow after blow. It is knowing truth. He will come at you with vile thoughts. He'll come at you with doctrines of devils. And boy, they're, they're in our midst. And we had a fella that I knew used to attend regularly and um, ends up getting involved in a church, Lower 48, that is just horrendous. Steve Anderson. Vile. Doctrines of devils. And I didn't know it, but then as talking with him, I noticed there was a distinct change. It wasn't the same person I remembered. And then when I heard the church he had joined, it all made sense. The doctrines of devils had set in. If you want defense against those doctrines, you need the sword. You need to know the Bible. You need to know why you believe, what you believe, and why you believe it. There, there were multitudes, multitudes, especially within our churches, that actually had a good belief system. But they never knew why. So all of a sudden, when, the, when this momentum changed in the culture, multitudes left. Because they never understood why. It wasn't what they believed was wrong. They didn't understand why they believed it.
The word that is used here is interesting and also provides us help. Machera, a common word used in Greek for a sword. Multitude times used in the New Testament. It means a small sword. Anything from 18 inches to maybe a foot long. And some, and some usages using in light of like a dagger even. A large sword used with two hands, like we tend to think of, is a completely different word. And I believe the word that is chosen here helps us greatly. You see, when it comes to a small sword, you need precision. You need precision. If you're in hand-to-hand combat, you could be poking around and accomplishing nothing. You see, so many people don't even know how to use the Word of God. It seems to accomplish nothing in their life. You need precision. You just can't, or you just can't pick your Bible up and flail it around, flail it around like it's a giant sword. You need precision. This is how it becomes so effective in the spiritual battle you face. You have to know how to use the Word of God. And it's, it's not like, and don't be afraid of the word precision. It's not that it's that difficult. It's when you begin to understand truth, why you believe what you believe, and knowing when to use it. Is that not how, how when, when Jesus fought against the temptations of Satan, the exact example he gave us? Of using the word of God with precision. If you're going to stand in the evil day. To penetrate that darkness. You need to know the truth of the word of God. The devil is subtle. He's wily. He's clever. He has his schemes. And it simply starts. You see, the good thing about this is, is this. Is. <clears throat> if you are saved. Alright. And this, here's your sword. The author of it. The author of it indwells you. The very author. He indwells you. Bob had given me a book to read. This week, um, a couple of weeks ago, I read it this week. And there's times I would have liked to have talked with the author. And and I, Bob had asked me if, what I got out of it. He was coming from a different angle. I said, the only thing I got out of that is I never want to go in the wilderness again. Um, I don't want to be in the cold. I don't want to be in the wilderness. But it would have been nice to actually have the author. And say, okay, so when this is taking place, what were you thinking? Why are you putting it this way? Why did he die? When it comes to the Word of God, understand, it's, it's not like we're talking, you have to go get a master's level of education. That might ruin you, actually. Seriously. If you'll just simply walk by faith, desiring God... Not even knowledge. Simply desiring God. 
You know what he'll use? Ephesians chapter 4, he'll use the church. The preaching and teaching of the word of God. He will. He'll use that to begin to strengthen you so you can begin use your sword with precision. Not just wailing around, I hope I hit something. When you have, then, then it comes to your own devotions. Of, of not just going through motions and meeting your dutiful requirement. But taking something from it. And then as the Lord directs in your life, study. And that's where I'm at advantage. And I know that. I, I don't take that. I don't miss that fact in my life at all. Because what has helped me more know the Word of God than taking classes is teaching classes. There's not even a comparison. It's, it's not even close to the level of help that provided. So you have your, have your church, but at times, maybe a topic. Maybe just a small book. Decide to study it. Maybe something, again, no, I, see, I really don't know why I believe this. I think it's good. Study it. Know why you believe it. Now, look at verse 18. I need to finish it. Look at verse 18. Let me get back there myself. Look how he ties this together. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let me use this verse to conclude with. This sort of ties it all together with the armor. I don't think prayer here has given us part of the armor, although I think it does protect and it can be used as a weapon, but that's not the angle that is being taught here. Okay, so that's not, again, I think prayer can be a weapon. I I think it protects all that. All that's true, no doubt. I can go to other verses, but that's not what this section is teaching us. Prayer and watchfulness in relation to a soldier in a battle. This is dealing with being ready. Being ready. Watchfulness. Prayed up. Ready to go. See, the devil will love just to get you distracted. Get your mind off the battle. Get you in a place where, where his fiery darts are more likely to work. Where his blows are more likely to land. It is that prayer and watchfulness that keep you in a place. It's being sober-minded with your Christian life. Prayer is the soldier's readiness. Prayer and watch of us show the soldier is ready to fight. In other words, it's basically being on high alert. It's basically knowing we are in a battle. It's being on high alert. Because, by the way, then you will pray, and you will pray more, and you will pray strong. I, I mean, you could just think about it. it 
take, take the battle to the physical realm. And you understood a battle is coming. You know, all of a sudden the nation descends in, in, into chaos and, and we have from different terrorist groups that have been supplanted and they're already here and we know attacks have begun. And let's just say we're going to get Mike Moffat up here and he's going to do a demonstration on defense and how to use the weapon. I think you're going to listen. I think when you leave here, not only would you listen, but you would be sober-minded. You would be watchful. Looking for it. Ready. You know, it can happen at any time. You'd be ready for it. Well, i got news for you. You're in a spiritual battle right now. Know how to use the weapon. Have the armor on. Be watchful. Have a genuine, strong prayer life. Not just checking your box with it. Because if a real battle was coming, by the way, and you were praying, I assure you, your prayer time then would not be checking the box. It would be from your heart. Lord, help. You need to see that same passion every day. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now I want to cover something very quickly with